0: So, join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9:08 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the, what? Oh, God, it's May the 2nd, 2023, and this is episode 717. Of Bitcoin and it's a palindrome show Yay, we love palindromes Okay So I got a long one today uh, As part of the the normal course of events For a a standard Bitcoin and episode Uh, We'll get to that But I got to warm up to it Okay, so That's going to be the last one that I read For the first part of the show Let's start with Let's start with idiocy all right, I saw this yesterday. I thought it was a joke. I thought somebody had literally just taken something into Photoshop and you know, shopped in a, a fake headline. But no, the headline from Reuters is actually real. IBM to pause hiring in a plan to replace 7,800 jobs with AI. Okay, now it's from Bloomberg, but it's actually a uh, Reuters.com uh, <laughs> piece, and they're not giving any any writing credits, so I don't know who wrote it. <clears throat> International Business Machines Corporation expects to pause hiring for roles as roughly 7,800 jobs could be replaced by AI in the coming years, CEO Arvind Krishna told Bloomberg News on Monday. Hiring specifically in back office functions such as human resources will be suspended or slowed, Krishna said, adding that 30% of non-customer facing roles could be replaced by AI and automations in five years. His comment comes at a time when AI has caught the imagination of people around the world after the launch of Microsoft Corp-backed OpenAI's viral chatbot, chat GT or GPT in November of last year. The reduction could include not replacing roles vacated by attrition. The PC maker told the publication IBM did not immediately respond to Reuters request for comment. Yeah, because what kind of comment can you make to defend this? Now, I'm not, I'm not, well, okay. I was, I was about to say, I'm not worried about the replacement of people with AI but of course i am that's just that would be ludicrous of me to say that however what disturbs me more is this statement up here um let's see 30 percent of non-customer facing roles could be replaced by ai and automations all right and then they actually said that you know hiring specifically in back office functions such as human resources Okay, for all of you out there that have any kind of job at all that other people are roaming around, whether they're customers or clients or, um, let's see, other people that you work with uh, in regards of performing the same mission as the company does, how many of you have customers, direct customers? Raise your hand. I'll wait. If you were somebody out there who works at a company that is not "quote unquote" customer facing, and you did not raise your hand, you're wrong. You have customers. How do I mean that? Human resources. All right. So Karen in human resources may be a you know somebody who you don't really like. Maybe you don't like the the entire thing about human resources. However you are Karen's customer. Whether Karen thinks you're a customer or you think you're a customer of Karen's does not matter because the fact of the matter is this, you are in fact Karen's customer and Karen is somebody else's customer. I don't know exactly who, because this is a fictional, you know, a fictional situation, but at least in this case, we're talking about IBM not understanding a fundamental fact of business everybody is somebody's customer whether you're selling them something or you're performing a function for them i.e a service it doesn't really matter every single person that works anywhere is a customer of somebody else in that company and you are in fact you have customers okay yourself it it, it when you, when you finally wrap your head around that then you understand what customer service actually is so now think about this karen gets replaced by ai in the human resources office and you need to have somebody explain your benefits to you if you i don't know have a life event like you get married or a spouse dies or or you have children those three are the major life events that almost every human resource uh, department in the united states recognizes as a life-changing event which means that you can change the way your life insurance policy works or you can change your health benefits you can change all manner of stuff outside what would be called open enrollment right so Who's going to explain that to you? You really AI? No, no, because AI is going to be you know told, you tell this person whatever it is you need to tell this person to keep the bottom line intact. Whereas Karen, if she's on a good day and had enough coffee, might tell you how to save money by divvying up your children between you and your spouse and say, hey, if you only have one kid on your, uh, or if you have both kids, both of your two kids on yours and your wife works for us, and she's just solo on her health insurance. That could actually save y'all money, and in, in, in you know, we'll actually, you know, basically be able to spend more money on you for health insurance. That goes away because Karen will be replaced by somebody who has no mood. So be aware this whole replacement of, of people with AI, and they're going they took her jobs. that's not as much of a concern as the people that are left, right? The, the problems that they're going to have to deal with, with an automated Karen. So just the, these, these implications are, are, further reaching than i think we're giving them credit for now next up mawson infrastructure signs an agreement for 24 megawatt ohio facility that will come online in the third quarter of this year btc casey bitcoin magazine digital infrastructure provider Mawson infrastructure group incorporated has signed an agreement for a new site in corning ohio with an initial capacity of 24 megawatts According to the press release, the site, signed on a long-term lease, has an additional 26 megawatt of potential capacity upside subject to further infrastructure investment, which would take the total site to 50 megawatts. The site is expected to go live in the third quarter of 2023 and will initially host 12 modular data centers and 7,056 miners. The new site will expand Mawson's potential capacity to up to 290 megawatts, highlighting the company's focus on the Pennsylvania and Ohio region, and Pennsylvania needs it. Mawson CEO James Manning said, quote, this is the first of several smaller sites the Mawson team has been working on with a focus to deploy low-cost, quick-to-market mining facilities. COO Liam Wilson added, quote, we are actively planning for the halving event and plan to have the most efficient fleet possible, as always, focusing on shareholder return on capital. We are focused on this region for various reasons and look forward to seeing which ASIC units perform best before ordering in bulk," end quote. <clears throat> the new site is an addition to the existing 240 megawatt of capacity that Mawson has on uh, online and under development in the surrounding area. The company's goal is to provide a possible increase in deployable hash rate of up to 1x exa hash per second. Mawson's infrastructure includes a proprietary modular data center design that aims to reduce deployment time and capital expenditure. It, <clears throat> that's the end of the article. And I really, I really like the fact that people are moving to a modular design. Modular makes more sense. Yeah, we talk about decentralization, but what, what we don't really talk about is how decentralization affects deployment times. And a modular setup where you can just put it on a truck, move it somewhere, throw it on the ground, make sure that it's level, and then plug it into whatever power you know availability that you have. That makes sense. That's quick deployment. And it's not only quick deployment, it's quick redeployment, and you can go collect your shit really fast in case th- something goes south in a region that you're working in. Like I don't know, you're somewhere and I I don't know, mayor decides to nationalize your shit to the city, which I, is improbable, but I'm just using it as a as an example. Then you can go get your stuff. Greg Judy is a guy that uh, rents land and ma- and and builds pasture and. <clears throat> He takes money from ranchers to custom graze their cattle. And he had an agreement with a landowner and he was leasing his land and he was paying the landowner a a good chunk of change for leasing. I don't know, just we'll call it 100 acres. Greg Judy had put up fencing, non-permanent, rapidly deployable and rapidly collectible electric fencing so that the cattle wouldn't get out onto the road and he could keep them contained. And then he rotationally grazed them around in this, you know, hundred acre paddock, let's call it. But the perimeter of the paddock was done by his fencing that he owned, that he bought. And all of this was in the lease agreement. And the lease agreement specifically stated, if at whatever reason we come to an impasse and you decide to kick me off, Um, that's my fence, I get the fence. Well, the guy that owned the land decided to kick Greg Greg Judy off and rent his land to another grazer who was going to pay him more money. And he, you know, told Greg Judy, he's like, yeah, tomorrow's your last day. So Greg Judy got on his four-wheeler, rolled down the road, you know, 10 miles or however, you know, long it was away and collected his entire perimeter fence in under an hour and he rolled back home and you know no hard feelings or whatever well he gets this call the very next day from the landowner saying where's the fence you stole my fence great judy's like read the lease agreement brother that's my fence i told you that if we have an impasse and you kick me off the land that's my fence and i will come get it that's in the lease agreement you signed it you need to go read that part Turns out what the reason he found out that he had that there was no fence is that the grazer, the new grazer that he leased the land to that was going to pay him more money than Greg Judy rolled his entire herd up like 100, 150 cows on semi trucks and was going to unload them when he figured out that there was no perimeter fence. He was told by the landowner that there was a perimeter electric fence. So now the landowner not only pissed off Greg Judy and he will never get Greg Judy's money again, he pissed off that grazer and that grazer is never going to do business with him again. So what happened to this guy? He has no income on this 100 acres. That's not only that's a not only a really good example of decentralization. It's a good example of how decentralization makes rapid deployment and rapid redeployment effective, okay? So just keep that shit in mind. When we talk about decentralization, again, like the IBM and AI thing, the implications are further reaching than just saying and screaming and crying, oh, it's decentralized. Yeah, well, what exactly does decentralized mean? I just gave you two examples. All right, so Summer Talent Company and Summer of Bitcoin announced Summer 2023 Bitcoin Industry Apprenticeship Program. For all you younger guys out there and gals, um, maybe, uh, uh, maybe you should think about doing this one. Uh, <clears throat> Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey. Uh, Bitcoin Talent Company and Summer of Bitcoin have announced their partnership to launch the Summer 2023 Bitcoin Industry Apprenticeship Program for undergraduate and graduate students from universities in North America and Europe. The program is expected to provide students with hands-on experience in the Bitcoin industry, industry exposure, skill development, and in-depth understanding of Bitcoin and networking opportunities. Applications for the program will run from June the 12th to August the 25th, so over the summer essentially according to the press release the program will unlock additional opportunities for students to spend time learning from and contributing to the operations of venture funded bitcoin companies the bia program is expected to provide students with practical skills that can be applied to various industries and fields while also helping them establish professional relationships with Bitcoin-focused companies. As the macroeconomic and geopolitical backdrop continues to highlight the importance of Bitcoin, this partnership is aiming to be an opportunity to dedicate one's career to the growth of the industry. Quote, Over 30% of interns graduating from university have been offered full-time roles after participating in Summer of Bitcoin's previous open-source internship programs, the press release said. Companies interested in partnering with the program and offering internship opportunities as well as students interested in pursuing summer internships can visit bitcointalent.co. That's Bitcoin Talent, all one word, bitcointalent.co for more information. So if you're uh, <clears throat> in a university uh, as an undergraduate or a graduate student, you might want to uh, take a look at this. Okay, here's the big one, guys. And I might have to break this into two parts. <clears throat> and I don't mean two uh, episodes. I mean, literally just hitting pause and taking a breath a couple of times because this is a longer one. But it's important because this is covering this whole New York Times fiasco. They bit off, New York Times bit off way more than they could chew when they finally got under the skin enough of Bitcoiners. Because now it's the Stop the Presses movement. Hashtag Stop the Presses. It's gaining traction everywhere. Everywhere. And it's it's amazing to watch because they really screwed this up. Hell, even Elon Musk is talking about Stop the Presses. You may not like him, but he's got a lot of followers. And when he says something or he replies to a Stop the Presses <clears throat> tweet, um, people are going to... Uh, people have a tendency to listen. And I think I think New York Times really uh I think they scuttled their own ship on this one and they didn't even know it. So <laughs> here's for torpedoing yourself in the foot. Bitcoin Magazine written by Level 39, which we haven't heard from in a while. So let's dig into it. <clears throat> Does one of the largest individual shareholders of the New York Times benefit from the publication's recent hit piece on Bitcoin mining? The article, The Real World Cost of the Digital Race for Bitcoin, attacked the role of Bitcoin miners who participate in sanctioned demand response programs within the Electricity Reliability Council of Texas, which is the state's energy grid. These programs provide ancillary and demand response services that enable variable, renewable power to be profitable and readily available when consumer demand rises. They also allow for grids to remain reliable during extreme weather events, such as winter storm Yuri in February of 2021. In its haste to attack Bitcoin mining, The New York Times appeared to have reversed more than a decade of support for pro-renewable demand response programs and has potentially handed the Texas legislature fodder to limit competition on the Texas grid in favor of policies that promote natural gas peaker plants and pipelines. Who is this Carlos Slim guy? Well, Carlos Slim Hillu A Mexican business magnate who provides the newspaper with $250 million worth of loans in 2009, currently owns roughly 8% of the New York Times company's Class A shares. He's the 11th richest person in the world with a net worth of $86 billion, making him the richest person in Latin America. Slim's fortune largely derives from telecommunication networks such as América Movil, Latin America's largest mobile phone provider, uh, and, and dominates Mexico's telecommunications industry. The company has kept the nation's phone rates among the highest in the world and is thought to be a key factor restraining Mexico's economic development. Slim has investments in the Texas energy market through oil and gas companies. His corporate conglomerate, Carso Grupo owns Carso Energy, which transports and sells Texas natural gas to Mexico's state-run power companies through pipelines. By attacking Bitcoin mining, the New York Times indirectly helps midstream companies such as Carso Energy, which increases its profits from transporting and selling natural gas to Mexico. (coughs) Carlos Slim's second eldest son, Marco Antonio Slim Domit, Manages the financial side of their family's business empire and is a member of the board of directors of Grupo Carso and an independent director at BlackRock. Yes, BlackRock. In addition to being a member of its board of directors. BlackRock is the second largest investor of the New York Times company, holding 8.67% of Class A shares. The Wajalajara system is a new network of pipelines that transports natural gas from the Permian Basin to population centers in Guadalajara and western central Mexico. The network originates from the Waha Hub in Western Texas, a critical supply hub for Permian Basin natural gas producers. A joint venture between Carso Energy and Energy Transfer Partners operates two critical pipelines to Mexico that originate from the Waha Hub, the Waha Presidio Trans-Pecos Pipeline and the Waha San Elizario or Comanche Trail Pipeline entering service in 2017. Carso Energy has a 51% stake in the joint venture, Carso Energy has a 100% stake in the Sasabe-Samalayuc pipeline in Mexico, which is fed from Oaxaca via the San Elizario and InterService in 2021. With the help of additional Carso Energy pipelines and other sources of natural gas, the Secretaria de Energia, Mexico's Minister of Energy, expects to add three No, 30,000, 30, get this, 30,000 megawatts. That's 30,000 megawatts of combined cycle gas-fired power generation capacity to the country's electric grid over the next decade, approximately 70% of Mexico's natural gas imports are supplied by U.S. pipelines. Therefore, it is common for natural gas contracts in Mexico to be linked to locations in the United States where pricing is determined, such as, you know, the Waha Hub, Henry Hub, and Houston Ship Channel. The Waha Hub is one of the most important pricing points for natural gas in Mexico, in part because each of the Waha Lahara Pipelines jointly operated by Carso Energy and Energy Transfer are designed to transport and sell over 1 billion cubic feet of natural gas per day to Mexico State-owned Commission Federal de Electricidad power plants. The natural gas price index for the Mexican market, known as the IPGN, is calculated with the Waha benchmark price by the Commission Reguladora de Energia, a government energy regulatory commission. Carso Energy's transport income generally benefits from higher prices at the Waha hub. The CRE uses. The Waha benchmark to calculate a daily reference price for natural gas used by CFE, which helps determine the price of natural gas sold by the CFE by Carso Energy, including the midstream cost of transportation and other fees associated with importing natural gas. The CFE is one of the largest customers of natural gas in Mexico, and by the end of next year, the CFE is expected to generate 65% of Mexico's power. Selling natural gas to the CFE can become extremely profitable during severe weather events in Texas due to heavily inflated spikes in the Waha benchmark price. Severe weather events aside, the Waha Hub has been plagued with takeaway capacity constraints causing record low prices in the Waha benchmark of natural gas that have consistently fallen below the Henry Hub in Erath, Louisiana. The New York Mercantile Exchange primarily uses the Henry Hub price for natural gas future contracts physical supply and demand dynamics at the Waha Hub can have effects that influence the Henry Hub and NYMEX natural gas futures. The Waha Lahara pipelines had been expected to help narrow the steep Waha Hub discount to the Henry Hub. However, the Waha benchmark still went negative 20 times in the last three years due to other factors that remain an issue. Negative pricing at the Waha hub can occur when there is an oversupply of natural gas and not enough pipeline capacity to transport said gas. When this happens, producers may be forced to pay buyers to take their natural gas in order to having to entirely shut down production. This can lead to negative pricing, which can present a number of challenges for Waha pipelines. Quote, Waha is in the Permian Basin and is characterized as a market that is perpetually long supply and needs to trade at a discount to its marginal demand market. That demand market is almost always outside of the Permian Basin. Therefore, basis is determined by the amount of excess gas that needs to be moved to another location. The relative abundance or scarcity of this egress capacity influences Waha basis greatly. On a daily basis, wind generation directly competes with natural gas. As new wind and solar farms are constructed, renewable energy sources are taking a larger share of total generation. If renewables generation grows faster than load or the demand for power, then gas demand generally suffers. And that's from Waha basis, forces affecting price, from Aegis reference. Low prices reduce the incentive for producers to sell natural gas in the Waha market, which, in turn, can lead to lower throughput volumes for the Waha Lahara pipelines. Shale oil wells in the Permian Basin have become extremely gassy, producing more associated natural gas as they age and oil production falls. This result in increased exploration for shale oil, which results in more gassy wells and an oversupply of natural gas. As prices stay low or go negative, it becomes more profitable to waste natural gas by either venting it or flaring it. Venting methane is harmful to the environment as it is a potent greenhouse gas that traps 80 times more heat than carbon dioxide over a 20 year period. Flaring is better than venting, but it is only 92% efficient, meaning that 8% of all flared methane still escapes into the atmosphere. It's probably more than that, guys. Bitcoin mining is nearly 100% efficient at mitigating methane emissions, so it's more ecologically sound and profitable to mine Bitcoin with methane from stranded Permian Basin wells than it is to waste it. Bitcoin miners can even be used to reduce fugitive emissions from abandoned wells once the wells are no longer productive. Ultimately, this all means there is less incentive to build expensive infrastructure to transport Permian natural gas to the Waha hub where it may sell for practically nothing. This is a major problem for operators of the Wahalahara pipeline system. Midstream companies such as Carso Energy and Energy Transport grow profits by increasing the volume and value of transported natural gas. The oil and gas industry had concluded that costs have to rise because the current cost structure is unsustainable as losses for natural gas explorers continue to mount. To make matters more challenging for the oil and gas industry, research indicates that using large flexible loads, such as those favored by Bitcoin mining operations, can have a net decarbonizing effect on grids over the long term. This is believed to happen when loads balance fluctuations in variable renewable generation, which in turn facilitates higher percentages of renewable resources when those power sources are indeed available. Brad Jones, the former interim CEO of ERCOT has publicly affirmed that Bitcoin mining has already played a major role in bringing renewables into the Texas grid by supporting the financials of solar and wind facilities and providing a balancing effect between consumers and excess generation that would otherwise be negatively priced or curtailed. Quote, for many years, ERCOT had been looking for loads of scale, that could respond in a demand responsive way that can help us balance our grid, it's here now. And it's a great thing for helping us to manage the grid, helping us to manage our resources. Bitcoin has the nature of really turning down when prices begin to rise in a way that we can give that power back to other consumers And at the same time, as we bring more and more renewables into the state, it becomes a driver of more renewables. Because right now, if we bring in all the renewables that are signed up to want to come to our state, there will be a significant depression of pricing during the day. By having Bitcoin there to assist, to stabilize those prices throughout the day, it's going to drive more renewables into our system, and that's good for Texas, end quote. Brad Jones, former interim CEO of ERCOT. Moreover, research suggests that demand response programs are competitors to traditional flexible generation plants and, by proxy, the natural gas companies that provide fuel to those plants. Quote, widespread adoption of demand response may not be viewed favorably by all participants in the power market. In particular, if the capacity value or the availability of times of need in or rather of demand response is significant, owners of peaking plants will likely see their capacity factors decrease as demand response takes over some or all of the responsibility for regulation, load following and ramping. This will have a significant impact on the potential for generator owners to recover their investment, possibly leading to the decommissioning of otherwise operational plants. Such a scenario would clearly be greatly opposed by operators of flexible generation, even though it may present an efficient solution for the system as a whole. And that's from Benefits and Challenges of Electrical Demand Response, A Critical Review. If Flexible demand response can lead to the decommissioning of flexible generation. There would obviously be fewer potential buyers of natural gas during periods of peak demand. As variable renewables continue to increase market share within ERCOT, Carso Energy and Energy Transfer would have a good reason to view demand response programs that Bitcoin mining operations participate in as competitors to peaker plants that reliably buy and consume natural gas. Of course, natural gas peaker plants are necessary when solar and wind aren't available, enabling miners to continue mining during those hours. On the surface, this would appear to make Bitcoin miners and natural gas companies close allies. However, if oil and gas executives concur with Jones, and the research above, there would be a motive for oil and gas companies to negatively color the public's perception of Bitcoin's participation in ERCOT demand response programs. Natural gas may be maintaining its market share within ERCOT as renewables grow, but the industry would rather increase its market share and eliminate competition to secure its long-term future. Warren Buffett also has a motive to view Bitcoin mining's role in a demand response as competition. Buffett owns Berkshire Hathaway Energy, a subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway, which is currently lobbying the Texas legislature to build 10 new peaker plants totaling 10 gigawatts of generation capacity by November of this year, 2023, paid for by an additional charge on Texans power bills. Peaker plants are typically natural gas power plants that only run when there is a high demand for energy. New peaker plants would replace the need for demand response customers. It's no wonder Buffett has described Bitcoin as rat poison squared. Despite what Elizabeth Warren says, attacking Bitcoin's mining or Bitcoin mining's role in demand response results in higher electricity bills for Texans to pay fees for peaker plants. The Texas Senate recently passed Senate Bill 6, which would funnel at least 10 billion dollars to build those natural gas peaker plants and possibly up to 18 billion dollars for them to sit idle until high demand and extreme weather events. In testimony at a committee meeting in March, Berkshire Hathaway was one or was the lone supporter of the bill. Energy analysts in the Wall Street Journal have criticized the plan as being bad for Texas due to it being costly and undermining competition from solar and wind. Senate Bill 7 adds oversight requirement to ERCOT for peaker plants and provides allowances for plants that will operate at a loss when severe weather is not observed. This is a sophisticated way of saying the industry is requiring the state to provide the oil and gas industry with a subsidy for which the people of Texas will be on the hook. Meanwhile, the Texas Senate passed Senate Bill 1751 unanimously out of committee and with only one no vote from the Senate floor, which unfairly prohibits Bitcoin miners from competing to receive commonly used tax incentives. Worse, it stymies miners' efforts. Sorry. Worse, it stymies miners in their efforts to make the Texas electrical grid more resilient in emergency situations by arbitrarily limiting Bitcoin mining's participation in ancillary and demand response services to 10%, which the industry likely already exceeds. Another bill, Senate Bill 2015, would establish a goal for 50% of new generating capacity installed in ERCOT by 2024 to come from dispatchable generation, which is primarily natural gas. It's well known that the oil and gas industry showers Texas Governor Greg Abbott and other politicians with money. After winter storm Uri. Energy Transfer's CEO donated $1 million to Governor Abbott after the company pocketed billions of dollars from the deadly storm. Atmos Pipeline, Texas, and New Star Energy are operators of some of the largest pipelines and natural gas storage networks in the state and aim to increase takeaway capacity from the Permian Basin where the Waha Hub is located. In 2022, both Atmos and Newstar donated in total $40,500 to the campaigns of Lewis Kohlhorst, Donna Campbell, Robert Nichols, and Jose Menendez, the four co-sponsors of the Anti-Bitcoin Mining Senate Bill 1751. These four state senators received $163,500 from the oil and gas industry as a whole. If Bitcoin really were to promote the use of fossil fuels over the long run why are texas senators who significantly benefit from the oil and gas industry introducing legislation that unfairly targets bitcoin miners prior to china's ban on bitcoin mining enacted in june of 2021 severe weather events in texas resulted in windfall profits for natural gas companies and for example Energy transfer raked in $2.4 billion during the February 2021 blackout of winter storm Uri by using natural gas as a peaking asset, storing it when the price is low and selling when demand skyrocketed. Exporting natural gas to Mexico during a severe weather event in Texas can be even more profitable for the Guadalajara pipeline operators since the Mexican price might be even higher especially if ERCOT were more reliant on natural gas peakers. During the 2021 Texas winter blackouts, the price of natural gas in Mexico skyrocketed to 100 times normal price. Natural gas peaker plants struggled during Uri as natural gas was freezing in the pipelines. After an influx of mining rigs from China relocated to Texas in late 2021, many became became sanctioned as large flexible loads within ERCOT. Today, LFLs, or large flexible loads, are providing and profiting from ancillary services that natural gas peaker plants would have previously dominated. And they are doing so at a lower price that peaker plants struggle to compete with, saving Texans money on their electricity bills by getting more for less. In fact, LFLs helped balance the grid and avoid blackouts during the summer heat wave of 2022 and during winter storm Elliott over Christmas of 2022, freeing up over 3,000 megawatts of spare capacity on the grid. This success was forecasted by ERCOT a few weeks prior to Winter Storm Elliott in a report that heralded Bitcoin miners as beneficial to balancing the grid during extreme weather events. In November of 2022, five months before his anti-Bitcoin mining article was published, Gabriel Dance, Deputy Investigations Editor at the New York Times, attended a Texas blockchain summit in Austin as part of his investigative research. A few weeks, weeks later, he began emailing participants from the conference, promising to include their nuanced perspectives in his upcoming article. And here's an email. And Gabriel Dance says, I, and this is an email to somebody. It's all blocked out. I don't know who he's sending it to, but this is what Gabriel Dance said to somebody in his email. I am a journalist with the New York Times, and I have been reporting on Bitcoin mining for some time. I heard you speak recently at the Texas Blockchain Summit and thought that you had some very interesting and nuanced things to say. I am hopeful you will speak with me regarding Bitcoin mining, particularly industrial mining. I would welcome hearing more of what you have to say on the issue. I assure you that I've done my homework on many of the pertinent issues, including grid connections and demand response. I have also listened to some of your interviews, including a recent one with Redacted. Unlike the White House report, I would welcome the opportunity to include your perspective in my piece. I can be reached at and Redacted. Thank you, Gabriel Dance. Dance ultimately proved that this was all a ruse. When his article was finally published, it became evident that he chose to omit all of the pro-Bitcoin mining arguments and only included unbecoming quotes from its proponents. And here is a tweet from Nick Carter. The letter we wrote to the EPA regarding Bitcoin mining is getting some discussion in the New York Times today. I think the full quote makes the intent clear and I stand by those words. And let's see if I can get a hold of the act. He gave a screenshot that I need to go get. Let's see if I can get that. <clears throat> he gives a response to a question or to a statement. The statement is this As digital assets gain popularity, it is essential to understand the environmental risks and pollution associated with this industry. The response This is deeply misleading. There are no pollutants, including CO2 released by digital asset mining. Bitcoin miners have no emissions whatsoever. Associated emissions are a function of electricity generation, which is a consequence of policy choices and economic reality shaping the nature of the electrical grid. Digital asset miners simply buy electricity that is made available to them on the open market, just the same as an industrial buyer. And then Nick Carter finishes it off with a reply to his own tweet says, It's unfortunate when you have a 90-minute conversation with a journalist and they use the most unflattering fragment, but that's not unsurprising. The substance of Dance's article deserves harsh criticism. It was filled with disinformation and fallacious, fallacious reporting about the role of demand response that has since been thoroughly debunked by the Bitcoin Policy Institute dance's reporting contradicted the united states department of energy which views demand response favorably it also conflicted with earlier endorsements of demand response from the new york times going all the way back to at least 2007. here's a selection of previous endorsements from the new york times quote across the united states several thousand businesses and residential customers are ceding control of their electrical systems during moments of unusually high demand And they are getting paid to do it. The system, based on a concept called demand response, is one of the latest ways that internet technology is being applied to manage overstretched United States power supplies better. In 2009, the New York Times reported that demand response had been endorsed by the Obama administration's Federal Energy Regulatory Commission chairman, John Wellinghoff. In this New York Times article dated April 17, 2009, it says, quote, The Obama administration, Congress, and the new Federal Energy Regulatory Commission Chairman John Wellinghoff have all focused on reducing peak demand. Mr. Wellinghoff has called demand response the killer application of a smart grid. In 2010, in its Energy and Environment section of the paper, the New York Times continued to extol the benefits of demand response to its readers. Quote, This concept, called demand response, has gained traction in utility circles. In essence, it involves paying users to make small sacrifices when there is an urgent need for extra power, the peak. The utility can then rely on cutting some demand on its system at crucial times, and in theory, avoid the cost of building a new plant just to meet those peak needs. For farmers, however, this process isn't easy. Workers must be dispatched to turn off the pumps, and there is a risk of crop damage. Again, later in 2010, the Times reiterated the Obama administration's positive view of demand response, quote, Wellinghoff sees consumers as Active parts of the grid, stabilizing the grid by adjusting demand through intelligent app appliances or behavior modification known as demand response, and storing energy for various grid tasks. He thinks consumers should get paid to provide those services. The newspaper even quoted environmentalists who want Texas to adopt more demand response. Quote. Environmentalists argue that the strains on the grid should spur Texas to work on energy-saving strategies. In particular, they are pushing a program called Demand Response, in which businesses and consumers are paid to reduce power at times of high demand like late summer afternoons. Colin Meehan, a clean energy analyst with the Environmental Defense Fund in Texas, said in an email that Texas had so far only taken very small steps on demand response. The Times continued to praise demand response throughout the Obama administration, almost as if it were doing the administration's job to promote the technology. Quote, But balancing the grid involves more than just increasing capacity. Perhaps the state's most promising conservation tool is demand response. The programs, which are voluntary in Texas, can take many forms. And he goes on and on. And yet... Dance's hit piece against Bitcoin mining single-handed, single-handedly reversed the Times' entire position on demand response. Dance wrote the following passage, which makes demand response sound like an evil scheme for flexible customers to defraud retail customers. Quote, their massive energy consumption. Combined with their ability to shut off almost instantly allows some companies to save money and make money by deftly pulling the levers of U.S. power markets. They can avoid fees charged during peak demand, resell their electricity at a premium when prices spike, and even be paid for offering to turn off other major energy users, like factories and hospitals, cannot reduce their power uses routinely or dramatically without severe consequences. And that was from the New York Times, April 9th, 2023. It all begs a long list of questions. Why did the New York Times spend months researching an article that distracts readers from serious environmental issues only to focus on a technology that is only responsible for an infinitesimal 0.14% of global emissions. Why did it ignore a December 2022 ERCOT study that showed large flexible loads, such as those favored by Bitcoin mining operations, were beneficial to the Texas grid? Why did the New York Times ignore the fact that Bitcoin mining played a significant role in avoiding blackouts during Winter Storm Elliott over Christmas and during the 2022 summer heat wave? Why did it ignore that Bitcoin mining reliably provides a price floor for overbuilding renewable generation on the ERCOT grid? Why single out a sanctioned demand response customer that was, according to ERCOT's former interim CEO, largely responsible for bringing in large-scale, variable, renewable projects to Texas. Why did the New York Times reverse more than a decade of support for pro-renewable demand response programs that were championed by the United States Department of Energy and Obama's Federal Energy Regulatory Commission chairman? Why, after months of research, did the New York Times publish its anti-Bitcoin mining story precisely when the Texas legislature, was voting on bills that attack Bitcoin mining demand response programs and replace them with natural gas peaker plants. Why did the New York Times editors use allegedly manipulated footage that made it appear as if there was smog in Rockdale, Texas? Very little about the hit piece makes any sense. Is it a coincidence that the New York Times attacked Texas Bitcoin mining at just the right time, that it could benefit one of its largest shareholders? Quote, the point is, Slim doesn't have to interfere at all. I know from experience that publishers do intervene in the editorial process, as is their prerogative, and I can assure you that Slim's investment will be a factor, even if unspoken, in editorial decision-making henceforth at the Times. Perhaps Mexico's crony capitalism will remain a mostly neglected topic, but now conspiracies will be read into the neglect, says Andreas Martinez, former columnist for the New York Times. We may never know if Slim influenced the editorial process in the newspaper's latest hit piece attacking Bitcoin mining. However, it would fit an ongoing pattern of the New York Times protecting Slim's business interests in addition to patterns of alleged calculated, systemic bias, and distortions. Whether these are all coincidences or something more may be up for debate. However, editors of the Times seem more than willing to sacrifice the newspaper's remaining shreds of journalistic integrity for whatever motivates them to run such hit pieces. More and more readers, on the other hand, are beginning to distrust mainstream media, and it does not help when the largest shareholders of media companies are positioned to reap profits from that reporting. There is little recourse in such matters. However, bringing attention to potential conflicts of interest may at least provide some context to otherwise inexplicable editorial decisions. Okay, that was a really long one, but it was really important to understand or to try to wrap our heads around on some of the, you know, substructure and nuances that are going on here. Yeah, Berkshire Hathaway, I knew about their $10 billion or $20 billion, whatever it's going to cost of those 10 gas-powered peaker plants, but I had no idea that Carlos Slim was embedded in this. And if I remember right, I thought Carlos Slim had some good things to say about Bitcoin sometime a couple of years ago. Maybe I'm Maybe I'm thinking of another Mexican, but... Um, yeah, I mean, combined Warren Buffett and Carlos Slim own like 18% of the New York Times. Let's say, let's just call it 20%. That's one fifth one between these two guys. That's one fifth and Bitcoin mining in demand response directly challenges their profit potential on natural gas in Texas. That's what it boils down to. Now, in case you guys ever wondered, <laughs> um, in case you guys are wondering, let's say let's say it this way: in case you guys are wondering uh, that it's you know it's it's impossible for somebody who owns you know a newspaper or media company to influence the journalistic directions of the editorial staff of said media company. Bullshit, Randolph Hearst. The Hearst Company owns a shit ton of newspapers in general. That's just right now, okay. But way back before, let's talk about what was it uh, Teddy Roosevelt? Let me let me just make sure about that. Uh, I think it was Teddy. No, it was. Um, oh, hold on, I got to look this one up. Franklin. Franklin D. Roosevelt, that was around the time that Randolph Hearst was in control of the Hearst Company and at his prime as a United States media magnate. Randolph Hearst owned not only newspapers and a lot of them, right? He owned paper mills, which generated the paper that was used by the newspapers to print their newspapers on. He owned the timberlands that all of the wood pulp for the paper plants were milled from and then sent to the papers that he owned. So not only did he own the newspapers, he owned all the upstream shit you need to run a newspaper that doesn't depend on the editorial and journalistic integrities of the company. What did he do? He did this one thing. He did several things, but he did this one thing that nobody had ever done before. When Fra- Franklin D. Roosevelt was about to do something, and I can't remember what it was. He wanted to do something, and Randolph Hearst found it distasteful to his future. So what did he do? He ran a pitcher. On the front page of every single one of his newspapers showing Franklin Roosevelt sitting in a wheelchair because he had suffered polio and lost the, the majority use of his legs and he was in a wheelchair. Most newspapers respected the president and would only show him sitting down behind a desk or at the rare occasion that he was standing at a podium when he had enough energy to do so. He would, they would show him that way because they wanted to not show him in the light of a decrepit old man. Randolph Hearst, however, didn't give a shit. And every single newspaper that he owned, he ran a huge photograph of Franklin Roosevelt in a wheelchair, not just sitting down, ladies and gentlemen, I mean in a wheelchair. He manipulated public opinion by doing that. And he had full control over whether that shit was going to run or not. And if an editor at any one of his newspapers refused to run it, that editor would have been fired and that editor knew that shit, which is why none of the editors reneged on the demand, not request, the demand that Randolph Hearst made to all of his editorial staff across all of his newspapers. So yes, this shit does happen. It will continue to happen until things like Noster and Bitcoin and Lightning Network pull the teeth from the serpent that continues to threaten us. And shit can't come quick enough, but we've got numbers to run. It's a complete bloodbath in markets today. Why? Well, because I may very well have been wrong. It may not be a situation where they, the Fed and the Treasury, just kind of you know dump another bank every couple of weeks. Because it looks like three of them are going down today. Uh, Pacific West looks like it's it's dead. And there's two other banks that have lost uh, a good chunk of what's left of their uh, of their equity value in the stock market. But we'll start with energy as usual, considering we just read read that entire piece from the about the New York Times and its love affair with energy. West Texas Intermediate is not helping them. <laughs> Four point eight six percent to the downside to seventy one dollars and ninety eight cents. Britain North Sea, likewise down 4.64% to $75.63. Natural gas following suit, 4.62% to the downside to $2.21 a thousand. And gasoline down 4.5 to $2.43. Gold, as you might imagine, is a beneficiary. It's up 1.61% to $2,024.30. Peter Schiff, take your victory lap. You deserve it. Silver, 1.29% to the upside, 25.55. Platinum is up 0.85%. However, both copper and palladium are down, 1.84% and 1.61% respectively. Ag, mostly down. Biggest loser today is going to be what? Sugar, 0.68% to the downside. Biggest winner is rice, 1.16% to the upside. Livestock not looking good. Live cattle down one one and a quarter percent. Lean hogs are down a half a point. Feeder cattle down one and a third. The Dow, and here's where it gets rough. The Dow is down one and a half percent. S and P is down one and a half percent. Nasdaq is down just a bit over one percent. S and P mini down over two percent, two point zero four to be exact. So. That all of that is caused by the banking shit that's going on that will apparently continue to go on. I don't mind being wrong, but in a way, I'm you know I I I'm not going to lose sleep over it. But I really did think that they would try to hide this a little better, and maybe they did. And it's just it's just not working. It's just not going to work. Investors, you know they. They're going to send the signal collectively when they figure out that we don't want to have any anything to do with these regional banks. And here's the other here's the other issue. When you look at the top 10 banks and I mean, top 10 by, you know, the amount of people they have as customers, plus the amount of, you know, liabilities and assets that they hold on their books, you're talking about Wells Fargo Citibank. Bank of America, when you look at their exposure to commercial real estate, most of it is under 10%. However, when you look at the rest of the field that would be considered regional banks, that's the bulk of the exposure of commercial real estate. Those are the guys that have always been making the loans for commercial endeavor, right? It's not really going to Wells Fargo and getting a loan to open up a a car wash or a strip mall. No, no, they're they're not kind of really interested in that. Not unless it's a mega mall, then maybe. But if it's like a strip mall or, you know, like a small regional mall outside of a town in Ohio or something like that, that's a commercial bank. They have like 20%, I saw 30%, 47% exposures to commercial real estate. All that shit's coming due. And it's going to crush what's left of the banking. And Friday, 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 I think we have a Fed meeting. I'm not exactly sure if that's when it's supposed to occur, but I saw something that leads me to believe that their meeting, the FOMAC meeting is going to happen on Friday, and we'll find out if they raise rates. And all indicators point to the fact that they're going to raise rates. Will they change their mind between now and then? They could. But I have the sneaky suspicion that we're looking at another 25 bips to the upside on interest rates. And when that happens, it's going to push the bond prices down. And that is a major holding asset for these banks that are already in trouble. If they do that shit, it's going to be a huge round of bank closures again. And I don't think that they're going to be able to you know, cover it over like I kept thinking that they were going to do. Like I said, I don't mind being wrong, especially when it's, you know, when I'm wrong about absolute freaking Armageddon. I don't want to be right about Armageddon, but it's going to be Armageddon either way. What do you do? You buy Bitcoin, you hold Bitcoin. $28,000. $28,518 to be clear. That's after 317,000 Bitcoin have exchanged hands in the last 24 hours. Average transaction value. Jesus, average transaction value is 0.59 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.000026 BTC or 73 cents. Somehow or another, that's gotta be wrong. That has to be wrong. Bid info charts, get your shit together and make a statement as to how it is that you're actually calculating that. Because if you're right, and retail, as far as Bitcoin is concerned, is only making 73 cent value transactions, then you haven't seen the fees today. Holy shit. Block times are just elevated. Uh, 10 minutes and four seconds. We have 0.62 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 88.3 BTC taken in fees in the past 24 hours. After a 7.68% increase in hash rate, we're sitting at, ladies and gentlemen, 406.23 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is doge, not really budging alongside of Bitcoin's price movement, 7.8 United States pennies. We got a $552.6 billion market capitalization, which is 4.12% of gold's market cap. Now you can get 14.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,362,118.21 of. 5,423.9 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $154.8 million, sporting 73,837 Lightning payment channels that we can see, and 65.7% of everything is going over TOR. Uh, Looks like we have a negative 2.1% estimated difficulty change coming May the 4th be with you, 2023. However, I think that's going to change. Right before difficulty adjustments happen is when everybody turns their miners on. Right after a negative difficulty adjustment is when everybody turns their miners off. If there is a negative difficulty adjustment, you're going to see hash rate fall to like 320s, 350s. That's my estimation. Now, mempool is slammed slammed all the mempools everywhere, including mine are slammed 117 blocks carrying 292,000 unconfirmed transactions are waiting to clear. Ladies and gentlemen, we are purging every transaction that has a fee attached to it under five and a quarter Satoshi's per V byte for the low priority transactions. 89 satoshis per V-byte, about $3.55. For next block activity, you're going to pay 95 satoshis per V-byte, $3.79 on the transaction. Woo! I'm telling you, it looks like memory usage is at 711 megabytes. And most default mempools are set at 300 megabytes. So we're 2x over 2x. Mempool memory usage. Holy shit! That's the weather report. Oh, actually, no, that is not the weather report. I have boostograms. I do. I do. You guys gave me some boostograms yesterday, which is really cool. And bisnerds. nerds. I don't know how to pronounce that. Is it bees nerds? It's b e i s n e r d s. Otherwise known as maple trade. Maple trade. Gave me 20,000 Satoshis and says, keep up the great work. This has become my number one go-to BTC podcast. TFTC, RHR, and What Bitcoin Did get a little technical for me sometimes. Also love the Black Locust info. This boost is in honor of first maple syrup customer specifically mentioned that he heard it on your show, contacted me, and bought with Bitcoin right on Noster. I did it. Ladies and gentlemen, success. Yay. It worked. I sold or helped business nerds or maple trade sell a product. I did it. I've been wanting to do that forever. Is it because I'm in love with sales? No, but I like supporting people that are trying to do something other than going and sitting in a cubicle under fluorescent lights and feeding the machine. Maple Trade is not feeding the machine. He's feeding my family with really high quality maple syrup. Again, Maple Trade. Go find him on Noster, just at Maple Trade. Hopefully it will populate and you'll be able to get to his Noster account. You can DM him and, and buy his stuff. Buy his sister's stuff, the soap, his sister's soap. I don't know if I've mentioned this before. I get soap at farmer's markets. And it looks good, you know, it's, it smells really nice. And then you get it in the shower and like a quarter of it melts away <laughs> on, this, on the first usage. His sister's soaps, because they're based on, I, probably because they're based on tallow, they are they stay hard as a rock, they don't get soft, they don't get nasty, they don't get messy, and they don't lose a quarter of their volume or mass in the first 15 minutes of a shower like some of these other soaps do. And it's good soap. It gets you clean. It smells good, but not overpowering. His sister really knows how to make soap. So if you're going to go to Maple Trade and get some maple syrup, why don't you get some soap as well and see if I can sell his sister's soap. If I can sell his sister's soap, then I might be on to something. Now, Dale Jr. with another 20,000 sats says, V for V, thanks. Tar with the striper boost says, Oh, yay, blue sky, yet another social media nick underscore dose with two three four five says cheers god's death says thank you with 1691 sats fatoshi with 1001 i wonder how is that a row of stick is that like flat boobs i don't know what that is i don't know what that is read the hamas constitution their charity work is good Pledging to kill all Jews, not so much. Beyond that, who knows? (laughs) Dubrovko with a thousand Satoshis says, forgot to mention about the coffee. Caffeine is my favorite neonicotinoid poison. I can't, I've never been able to pronounce that. Neonicotinoid, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, It isn't going away. Holler roast, y'all. He's referring to Nicole sauce. If you don't know who Nicole Sauce is, she does uh, think like every once in a while, she's on uh, uh, the survival podcast with uh, Jack Spirico. Jack Spirico is the one that got her to start Holler Roast Coffee. She she buys her own beans and she roasts those beans herself and sells Holler Roast Coffee. I have never tried it. I hear it's good though. Uh, everything Satoshi with a hundred sat says, bro, your podcast is transcendental. You're saving me and everyone in Africa. Keep going, bro. Wow. See, you get things like that. And even if the dude's lying straight through his teeth, I can't help but go shit. That's, that's amazing that I'm being listened to in Africa. How do you even process that shit? I don't know. What's on the Nostra report? Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll at least do the quote of the day. I still need to figure out how to, in, how to get Nostra report into this because I think it's important. <clears throat> the Nostra report, the web's not done. May the 1st, 2023. Block height, seven eight seven eight nine two. Moscow time, 3567. Quote of the day, one of the easiest lift growth hacks I see for Noster is positing extremely optimized Noster content links on Twitter and other social media. I think it's coming. Draw them in here and have the discussion here. It looks like that was written by Novak. I'm not sure. Rodolfo Novak or at NVK. Uh, He's at NVK pretty much everywhere. Uh, So Twitter, Noster, you can find uh, Rodolfo Novak, who is The uh, owner, the, well, I I don't know, the the guy behind CoinKite and the CoinCard cold wallet. That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Bitcoin flash rally briefly pushed BTC derivatives above $56,000 on Bitfinex. Uh, yeah like that was uh, that was not probably organic Oliver Knight Details at uh, outofcoindesk.com. BTC's price on Bitfinex perpetual swap market momentarily topped $56,000 on Tuesday amid a flurry of volume amid an absence of liquidity. Trading volume on Bitfinex's uh, BTC perpetual market spiked to 322 BTC between 1424 and 1426 UTC, equating to around a quarter of daily volume on the trading pair. So they did a quarter of their volume inside of two minutes. Some traders' positions were liquidated amid the flash rally. According to data on Bitfinex's trading platform, the move occurred at the same time as Bitcoin surged 2.5% on spot markets elsewhere as investors reacted to stock prices of two banks, PacWest and Western Alliance, plunging by more than 30% as concerns about the United States banking system resumed. At press time, the BTC perpetual pair has 10% market depth of 110 BTC, meaning that in order that in order to buy 110 BTC would move the price on that specific market by 10%. Evidence liquidity remains low on Bitfinex. A Bitfinex uh, spokesperson did not immediately respond to CoinDesk's request for comment. Did Bitfinex run out of Bitcoin? I don't know. It, it, this suggests that they have serious liquidity issues when it comes to Bitcoin. And then that means, well, if they're not liquid enough, does that mean they have any? I don't know. I don't know. But I'll tell you what this, that I get the feeling that this is, this was planned, whether it was by Bitfinex. I don't know. But somebody did something that liquidated a shit ton of people out of their futures positions. And they probably got Bitcoin on the cheap as that thing fell back down. But whatever. I don't really care because I don't trade. I don't leverage. I I just buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin. Uh, ARK Invest's grab. I'm tired. ARK Invest grabs another $8 million in Coinbase shares. Helen Parts, Cointelegraph. ARK Invest, the investment management firm founded by legendary investor Kathy Wood, has bought even more shares of Coinbase. On May the 1st, ARK purchased 130,000 Coinbase shares for its ARK Innovation Exchange Traded Fund, according to an investor notification seen by coin the investment company also bought 23,500 coinbase shares for its arc next generation internet etf and 15,809 for its fintech innovation etf the entire purchase amounted to 168,869 damn coinbase shares worth around 8.5 million dollars the acquisition Makes up nearly 50% of the total Coinbase shares bought by ARC last month. In April, ARC bagged a total of 304,000 shares worth $17.5 million. Previously, ARC bought 2.4 million shares in March for about $117 million. This latest purchase by ARC comes amid Coinbase stocks seeing another wave of red. On Monday, Coinbase shares dropped 6.8% amid news of a new class action lawsuit alleging the exchange violated privacy laws. Yay! Over the past month, Coinbase shares have plummeted more than 20%, dropping from a high of nearly $72 in April to $50.10 on Monday. The sharp decline in Coinbase's stock price came amid ongoing actions against Coinbase by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission on March the 22nd. The regulator sent Coinbase a Wells notice. Yes, we understand what's going on with Coinbase, except that what I guess the question ends up being is, you know, why is Kathy Wood throwing that kind of, you know, that chunk of change over at Coinbase when Coinbase has all these problems? Well, maybe this next one tells us why. Coinbase International Exchange launches amid SEC crypto crackdown in the United States, Helen Parts, Coin As the cryptocurrency industry faces regulatory challenges in the US, public crypto exchange Coinbase is moving forward with a global derivatives platform. On May the 2nd, Coinbase announced the launch of the Coinbase International Exchange, a new platform designed for crypto derivatives trading. The CIE will start trading by listing Bitcoin and Shitcoin One perpetual futures later this week. All trading on the CIE will be settled in Coinbase-backed stablecoin USD coin. Uh, Coinbase stressed that direct access trading on CIE is available to institutional clients via application programming interface in eligible non-United States jurisdictions. Quote, these products are not available to retail customers at this time," Coinbase added. According to the announcement, the new international crypto platform is launched with support of regulators in Bermuda. As previously reported, Coinbase obtained a license from the Bermuda Monetary Authority by mid-April 2023. The Class F license allowed Coinbase to operate a digital asset exchange and a digital asset derivatives exchange provider, as well as operate activities like token sales and issuance. Coinbase noted that Bermuda's regulatory environment is known for a high level of transparency, compliance, and cooperation. All right, so we'll end it there. It goes on to describe quite a bit about what's going on in Bermuda as a self-governing British overseas territory. But, 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 but. I think that's why Kathy Wood is buying all this Coinbase share, all these Coinbase shares as their price is falling, which as you would expect, but also in conjunction with the SEC's ongoing actions against Coinbase. Because Coinbase is getting the hell out of the United States. They will probably be completely gone and unavailable to United States customers in its present form. I don't know. I'm going to say by the end of 2024, 2020, sometime in 2025. That doesn't mean that there won't be a coinbase.us version of Coinbase that you know, I don't know, throws the breadcrum- crumbs out to the United States citizenry as we continuously move more and more towards authoritarian slavery, but be that as it may, that would explain Kathy Wood's interest in Coinbase because she knows something. She's not throwing this kind of money because she's taking a bet that Coinbase is going to fail. No, she's got some kind of information that she knows that they're going to be able to detach themselves from this crap going on here in the United States. And they're going to make money hand over fist, whether you like Brian Armstrong or not. And I don't really appreciate Brian Armstrong all that much. But thank God for monkey picks, right? Because now, now you can use your JPEGs to borrow Ethereum on NFT Marketplace Blur. I probably shouldn't read this, but I use them as prompts. I'm like an AI, except I'm human. I need prompts to set me off. Let's see if this sets me off. Decrypt.co, Andrew Hayward writing, the NFT-backed loan market is gaining steam. because people don't learn. With total loan value to date recently topping $1 billion across various protocols, and now the current largest Ethereum NFT marketplace by trading volume is getting in on the action as well. Today, NFT marketplace Blur announced the creation of Blend, a peer-to-peer perpetual lending protocol based around NFT assets. Short for Blur Lending, Blend, lets NFT collectors take loans loans out on their existing assets and also lets liquidity providers earn interest by loaning out Ethereum with the NFT serving as collateral. Yeah, that's going to go well. Unlike some lending protocols, Blend does not have set timeframes for loans to be repaid. Instead, they're perpetual, which means they continue to accrue interest until repaid or until the lender triggers a refinancing auction. This allows another lender to take over the loan if desired. Otherwise, a liquidation auction can be triggered for the NFT that's held in collateral. Furthermore, the loans don't rely on oracles or external off-chain data sources. That means that a loan on Blend will not look at NFT pricing data across marketplaces, which is used by some lending pl- protocols like BendDAO to determine liquidation criteria. In a tweet thread, Blur wrote that Blend enables 10X higher yield opportunities than current DeFi protocols and unlocks greater liquidity for NFTs. Blend currently has no fees. Oh my God, it's fee free for borrowers or lenders, but Blur token holders can vote to enable fees after 180 days. Blur teased in a tweet thread that it will launch two huge new products today built around Blend. Full details on how the protocol rips you off, I mean works, are listed on the official white paper, which is probably a plagiarism. The protocol was built in collaboration with Dan Robinson and the pseudonymous Transmissions 11 from crypto venture capital firm Paradigm, which led Blur's own $11 million seed rounding fund or funding round Back in March of 2022, Blur launched last fall as an upstart rival to the then leading NFT marketplace OpenSea with plans to offer token rewards to incentivize traders. The platform took the lead in the NFT space in terms of total trading volume this February after Blur's initial token airdrop as high volume traders rapidly flipped assets to earn Blur token allowments. When the trading hype had fallen since February, Blur remains on top in terms of trading volume. Over the past week, Blur has commanded about 58% of NFT trading volume across marketplaces per data from Dune, racking up about $98.5 million worth of trades. However, OpenSea still leads in terms of total trades with about 47% share via nearly 80,000 trades. The NFT leading market Recent or sorry, the NFT lending market recently topped the $1 billion mark and continues to grow with lending protocol NFT leading the charge with over $406 million worth of loans to date. Ben Dow is second with about $308 million uh, per data from Dune. Okay, if you have anything to do with this, you've lost your money already, just it's it's done. Okay, 10x leverage, or rather. 10x yield opportunity off of a no-fee loan that has no stop date and it's not guided by any kind of pricing data on the collateral that the loan is borrowed against. It's like everything you don't understand about A mixed with everything you don't understand about B with all the shit that you're scared of about the rest of the fucking alphabet all rolled into one and you're going to put your money into it? Dude, this this isn't a news story. This is a poster child for Run Away. (laughs) If there was a movie called Run Away, this is the poster child for it. Holy smokies, ladies and gentlemen, don't, 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 don't. Uh, last off, and it's just the, uh, I'm just going to read just a bit of it. Prussian Jaw from Cointelegraph is telling us that Three Arrows Capital founders have run into fresh trouble in Dubai over their new exchange, OPNX. <clears throat> the co founders of failed crypto hedge fund Three Arrows Capital, Su Zhu and Kyle Davies, have run into fresh problems over operating and promoting their new digital asset platform, Open Exchange or opnx without the required license in Dubai. That's all you need to know about that. So these guys trashed everything or were part of part of the fundamental wave that collapsed over everything and caused all these problems and people to lose their homes and whatever that, you know, whatever collateral they put up to get into the bullshit defi that they were into, which all got wiped away. With FTX, Alameda Research, all the rest, Three Arrows Capital. It was, they were all part of the same crew. Tron, uh, not Tron, what was it uh, Terra Luna. It's all, it was all part of the same debacle, right? And now they're at it again in Dubai. And what's the first thing that happens? They, they're getting socked because they don't even have the required licensure to be able to operate the thing that they want to operate. That's how ludicrous this all is and still is. See, this is my problem, guys. Nobody ever learns anything. Don't let that be you, please. If I was really helping people in Africa, if people are really listening to me, then listen to this. You buy Bitcoin, you hold Bitcoin. You don't go for leverage. You don't go for lending. You don't put monkey JPEGs up as collateral which means that you had to buy them and you probably bought them with Bitcoin. No, you just buy Bitcoin and you hold Bitcoin and you stay away from all of this junk. That, if if I can be of any service to a single person in Africa or Latin America or anywhere else in the world, that's it. Stay, when they say leverage, when they say 10X lending or yield opportunities on lending your shit, and they say that we're not going to price this thing that your loan is against and, all, and, and no fees. You know what all that is? That's the fifth rule of gold. Do not take part of usurious returns because you will lose your principal gold. It's not my law. I don't law, write the laws. That law was written 8,000 years ago. Even the Jews don't like usury or at least the Jews of Abraham. I mean, and, and the other Abrahamic religion, you know, Islam, which yes, Islam, the, Abraham spawned both Islam and the Jewish faith. If you didn't know that, you'd not read in the Old Testament. You can find that shit in Genesis. In either event, <clears throat> neither one of these camps, at least in the olden days, They usury, that could get you killed, right? Usurious returns. That's the siren call. That's the siren song that will lead your ship to crash upon the rocks in the middle of the ocean and there's no escape and there's no rescue. You're just, if you've survived the wreck, then you get eaten by the sirens that are on the island. That's these last two stories in a row. I hope Kathy Wood isn't part of that. You know, I like Kathy Wood. I don't like Coinbase. I don't like Brian Armstrong, but she seems to think that something's going on with Coinbase. I hope that's not a siren call for her. But this stuff, this lending crap that we just read, you stay as far away from that shit as you possibly can because that has disaster written all over it. That's going to do it for the Morning Roundup. Well, I was going to read y'all a dad says jokes, but I read through the seven in a row and they're all, they're not even good dad jokes. All right. I mean, a good dad joke should make you cringe seven in a row. And I was like, I, I, I don't understand what this is. So we're just going to go ahead and end it here. Before I do that, if you want to support the show, podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. You can send me boostergrams and have messages attached. You can Say nice things to me like it's helping people in Africa out, or you can tell me that I suck, or you can tell me that I helped you sell something. That, that's, that's a good one. The Africa one's pretty cool too. You can stream me Satoshis, but you can't do this unless you get a modern podcasting app. And you can find those at podcastapp.com or newpodcastapp.com or nude podcastapp.com but podcastapp.com so you can find some new podcast 2.0 enabled podcasting applications that you can use and take part of the value for value tapestry that we see being woven in front of our faces whether it's through podcasting 2.0 bitcoin lightning network nostr all of that is all where it's all going to work together it really is. Hole Punch and Keat. Even the old Fediverse. And uh, what was it? Not uh, Opportunity App. What the hell? Can't remember. It's an old, old, old thing. Anyway, so whether it's federated or decentralized, or whether it's, you know, Bitcoin is real money or Lightning as a real payment rail or is. You know, Noster as a real communications rail, or as podcasting 2.0 is another media rail. All of this is going to combine and is going to create a Titan, the likes of which you've never seen before. None of us have ever seen this before. I still have no conception of what all of it that I just said actually means, but I know it's going to be larger than anything that I've ever seen in my life. And I was alive before the internet. That's pretty big. This is at least a 10 X. It's a step function on top of the internet. All right. So whatever it is that the internet brought is going to just look on a log chart, like it's fucking nothing compared to what's coming. But you can't take part of any of that if you haven't claimed your namespace. If you're still working your ass off trying to get listeners on legacy podcast apps, if you're still working your ass off trying to get viewers on YouTube, if you're trying to get grab eyeballs and attention on Twitter, Instagram, or whatever, stop it. Move your time, treasure, and talent to something else. And that other thing will be the thing that steps and walks and trash walks all over and trashes and ultimately destroys that, which you walked away from. If you're still there when this golem of a Titan gains consciousness and opens its eyes, you're going to be walked over. Don't let this happen to you. If you haven't gotten your public private key pair yet for Noster, just go, go to GetAlbi. Okay, figure out how to use GitAlbi as an extension on your browser or go to snort.social. You can, generate, you can generate it from there. Okay, and it's not just snort.social. You can generate it from nostogram.co. You can generate them from many, many, many of the Noster clients that are out there but you've got to get your namespace. The old legacy social media structure is already dead. It's just twitching and we're mistaking that for signs of life. It's like a bird that has flown into a window at full force and it's like flopping around on the ground and you think it's gonna be okay. It's not gonna be okay. That bird is dead. I'll see you on the other side.